this is Gathering 262. I'm Cassie Hulse, and I'm here today with Rachel Jensen. So Rachel, how about we start with you just um, telling us about you, just um, where you're from, what, what you're doing in life, cool hobbies, all those things. Yeah, totally. So born and raised here in Provo. I grew up in Provo Canyon. Um, I was adopted. Um, so that's kind of a cool, fun fact. And I was still to my parents in the Tipinogos Temple. Um, I grew up on a ranch, so surrounded by lots of horses and animals. So I'm also known as the horse girl, country girl, all through high school. Um, so I'm very much, that's in my roots and in my soul. Um, graduated from Timview High School in 2019 and then pushed back on whether or not I wanted to go to college or not. So waited a little bit and then eventually started at UVU. Um, I started with athletic training, um, sports med, and then switched to national security um, and criminal justice. I wanted to be in the FBI. (laughs) I thought that would be way rad. Um, But God kind of had a different plan for me. So I put college on hold and now I'm just working in the wedding and bridal industry, which is way fun. So I get to play bride sometimes and then help brides find wedding dresses and it's a lot of fun. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, in high school, did you do like, um, like rodeo, FFA, like any, all, both? Yeah. All it's a little hard going to a high school in Provo when you're a country girl because, yeah. you know, they don't have like, you know, rodeo club or team or, you know, any yeah. of those. But um, I was doing a sport while I was in high school. It's called equestrian vaulting. Um, mm-hmm. So I did dance and gymnastics on the back of a running horse. Um, when I started, I was about nine years old and then did it for about eight years. So that was kind of my sport in high school. So when anybody asks, I'm like, yeah, I guess I kind of did a high school sport, but also not really because <laughs> it wasn't affiliated with, with Tim Pew, But Oh, yeah. 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 Does Tim Pew even have FFA? I don't think so. I think they're too bougie. Yeah, they cool. really <laughs> for something like that. I love Tim Pew. I'm so glad I went there, but right. I don't think they have anything along those lines. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. it's. I grew up in kind of a small town, mm-hmm. so I'm like, yeah, I did FFA and yeah. like yep. all that stuff. Yeah. So I took like so sheep fun. to the fair and like oh, all that stuff. Love to see it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'll have to look up equestrian vaulting. I think that is so cool. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Man. Way rad. That's crazy. I'm like, man, I can barely like, I think like out of the like five times that I've ridden a horse, I think I fell off of it like three (laughs) of those times. Well, I always used to joke, I can stand better on the back of a horse than I can on the ground because I can be kind of clumsy. It just... You know, tripping over nothing. <laughs> but on a so horse, cool. you know, I was very graceful and elegant. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so you're um, – sorry, can you say it again with – so um, like being in the bridal industry, mm-hmm. um, like modeling or like what – Tell me more about mm-hmm. that. So my experience in the wedding industry started out as a model um, because I had horse experience and I have horses. Um, my now really good friend reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing a shoot. This was a year ago in April. 
and she needed horses and someone that felt comfortable with horses. And so I was like, yes, we'll do it. Awesome. And it was out in the middle of the desert. And I got my, both my mom and dad to help trailer out horses. And we had never met this person like before in our lives. And so we thought, well, if this is like, you know, a scam or something, you know, we learned our lesson, but it was legit. And so we got out there and had a fantastic shoot for her, uh, 2021 lookbook. And then we just became best friends. Uh, a year later, I now work for her and help her run her business. So wow. I still model for her and I've done shoots with Rocky Mountain Bridal, um, which is a lot of fun, but now I'm more, you know, operations assistant, bridal specialist. So, wow. Yeah. A lot of fun. That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. So it's like, you're still also kind of like doing things with horses. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, that is so fun. Dude, that's awesome. Lots of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you um, if you wouldn't mind telling more about your family, mm-hmm. um, siblings, and then also I'd love to hear more about um, your experience with being adopted. And mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that. totally. So um, my mom and dad are great. They're my best friends. I love them so much. They met in the Bahamas. Oh, wow. The Spanish Fork Boy and Provo BYU girl met, you know, it's... in the Bahamas, fell in love, and uh, soon found out that my mom couldn't have kids. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, they did everything, did all the tests, all the things to try to have a kid. Um, and when they realized that, you know, it just, it wasn't going to happen naturally for them in the way that, you know, God intended, they decided that adoption would be a good option. So they reached out to LDS services who, and the LDS services is typically very good at, you know, getting back to, you know, families and they never, ever got back to my mom. And I think that was part of, God's plan, um, cause it veered her in the direction to, to be able to find me and, and my birth mom. So at the time, she was working for, um, an OBGYN and my birth mom, Julene, happened to be going to that OBGYN for all her checkups and everything. And she told the doctor, I'm blanking on his name, but she told the doctor, you know, I, I want to put this baby up for adoption, but I have no idea where to look or where to start. And she has previous kids. So I have half siblings, but I was the first that she wanted to put up for adoption. And this doctor also knew that my mom, Ellen, my adopted mom was looking for a baby and that she couldn't have her own kids. And so um, he made the connection and, and through God's guiding hand, he introduced Julene to my mom. And I can't remember if it was my mom, like which comment, like this was directed at, but the doctor was like, Hey, Ellen, this is Julene, probably Julene. And she said, he said, she really, really likes horses. And so they met and they adopted me and we were, I was still in the Timonogos temple. And then four years later, they adopted my baby brother, Jake, uh, from a different family. And, uh, we were all still together again in the temple and growing up, we were just, you know, the rednecks that lived up Provo Canyon, <laughs> really not like the stereotypical redneck, but we were horse no. people, country yeah. people. <laughs> and, um, I feel like because, I was adopted and Jake was adopted and we knew from a very young age that we were, you know, my parents never hid it from us and it was, it was common knowledge, you know, that, that we were adopted and and we knew that it was God's plan and everyone thinks I'm lying when I say that I'm adopted because I look a lot like my mom, Ellen. Mm. We just, we look like, you know, mother and daughter, but I look like a lot like my birth mom too. So I think that, you know, it was just, it was God's grace in his hand and his miracle a thousand percent and 
just just knowing that from a young age, I think, really strengthened us as a family and our testimonies of God and Jesus and, and made us a really tight-knit family. I tell my parents everything, and I have friends where they're like, oh, I would never have that conversation, you know, with my parents. And so our dynamic is just, you know, we're, we're ride or die, you know, we're in it in it together. That is so awesome. Have you... Um, it it kind of sounds like you might have met your birth mom. Mm-hmm. So is she? Can you tell us about? Yeah, like yeah. where you're at. With so that? she. So it was an open adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I knew my birth mom. I met her. I only have one clear memory of, of meeting her, and she had a lot of, of struggles in her life, um, lots of mental illness in her family. So she struggled with bipolar disorder. Um, I have not been diagnosed and, and don't struggle with with um, that disorder, but she had it and her mother had it really bad. Um, and so she struggled with that and, and depression and um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Um, so she had a very, very difficult life. Um, and in April, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2013, she actually passed away um, from a drug overdose. And when my dad told me, it hit me a lot harder than I, I thought because I had only met her, you know, a handful of times. I can count on one hand how many times we had interacted. Um, but she loved me and she wanted the best for me. And so when my dad told me that she had passed away, I just, I remember falling to my knees because it was like, a part of me was gone, yeah. even though I didn't I didn't know her very, very well. But going to that funeral and being able to interact with the rest of my biological family was really, really powerful. And the spirit was very much present because I got to meet half-siblings and grandparents and, and find out really just what a small world it is. My biological aunt went to school with my adoptive dad. Well, they went to Spanish Fork High School together and they were in band together and, you know, they were competitors in band. And so just years later to be like, oh my gosh, wait, you knew each other and now you're my biological aunt and you're my dad. Um, and I don't know who my biological dad is, but to be able to know my mom and, and learn from her and just her having the strength to trust in God that he had a plan for me, even if it it meant that she wasn't going to be a part of it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Do you have a relationship with your half-siblings? Um, I So I have a little half-sister. My biological aunt actually adopted her. Um, so they live in Salt Lake, and I it's, it's tricky because they have their own lives and I have my own life right. now. But, um, my grandparents, um, Julene's mom, my birth mom's parents, they actually send me a letter every month. Um, Aww. and they live in Spanish Fork. And so I actually saw them a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and we just surprised visit, you know, just dropped in and said hello. And they just, they couldn't believe that, that I was standing there because I haven't seen them in years. Mm-hmm. And, but they, they keep in touch every month and they send me a letter and I try to write back and update them on my life. Um, and they update me on my siblings. So I have Maddie, my little half sister. Jeremy, um, is in the middle and he suffers from cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's still within the family. I was the only kid that was adopted, you know, outside of the biological family. Um, Wesley is my oldest half sibling. He lives in St. George. And then Jeremy, um, we were the closest in age. We were only like two or three years apart. And he actually passed away, um, a couple years after my mom passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, he had an accident in Salt Lake and was hit by the tracks that was, that was running. He tried to roll under it 
and um, died trying to do that. And he suffered from schizophrenia and drug over, mm-hmm. you know, abuse and alcohol abuse. So he had his struggles, but we looked a lot alike. We looked mm-hmm. like twins. So mm-hmm. him passing was similar to my mom passing because yeah. I felt like we were the closest in age and we looked like we were siblings. And so seeing him was was also really overwhelming. But again, the spirit was just, it was so strong. And as sad as it is, it, it brought me to my biological family. You know, it, it's sad when something, you know, so heartbreaking brings people together. But I was able to see my half-siblings again and, and interact with them and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And even though it was such a heartbreaking thing bringing us together, it was really, really powerful to see everybody and to connect and catch up and and just recognize that family is forever. Yeah. And that's the really beautiful thing about this gospel is that even though I'm not, you know, I'm sealed to the family that I have now, I'm going to see all those people yeah. again, you know, and, and I'm going to see them in heaven and my, my siblings and my angel mama, like I'll, I'll get to mm-hmm. see her again, which is super cool. Yeah. Oh, that is incredible, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course, yeah. Um, could you um, share a bit about kind of like your your journey with your testimony? Yeah, totally. So um, I feel like because I wasn't born into the covenant, I I feel like my growing up in the gospel was a little bit different than what my friends had because they were born into the covenant. They didn't have to be sealed with their parents in the temple, you know, and I think that's what you call it, being born yeah. into mm-hmm. the covenant. Yeah. Um, Sorry, quick question. Yes. Um. So wh- how old were you when you were sealed? I was, uh, oh my gosh, I mean, I can't remember it. So I was like, probably pretty young. Probably, I don't know if you have to be a certain age to be sealed to your parents in the temple. I don't think so. I don't think so. So I, I was probably a toddler. Okay. When my parents did it. Okay. So I was pretty young. Um, but they told me all about, about it. And then I got to be there for my brothers, which yeah. was, which was a way cool experience. And I can still, I can still remember it. Um, so growing up, I feel like we were traditional in the aspect that we'd go to church every Sunday and, and we talked about, God and Jesus and my parents were very open about their testimonies and, and they're strong in, in the church, but neither of them served missions, LDS missions. And I felt like all of my friends had at least one parent that had served a mission, but neither of my parents had. Um, and then for FHE, every Monday, we were either on a horseback ride or we were doing ranch chores together, but we were always doing something as a family. Yeah. And I remember talking to my friends growing up and and I'd go to their houses and I'd see their little plaques with, okay, this is who assigned is assigned prayer. This is who has the lesson. And it just seemed very traditional to me. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. And then I would look at my family and think, well, we do it very differently. Um, And it was tricky sometimes because I felt like, well, are, do we measure up, you know, are we as worthy? Because we don't seem to be doing what I felt like everybody else was doing in the traditional aspect, right. you know? And so, so that was, that was a weird dynamic for me to, you know, process and navigate because I'm grateful for how I grew up in the gospel, because I think it gave me a very unique perspective and, and testimony. And, um, you know, I'm glad that it wasn't as, as traditional as I felt like other people had. Not that that isn't a bad thing at all, but I think that for my family and our dynamic, it really worked quite well because it, 
it inspired me to, to, you know, ask questions and to dive deeper because, you know, I was just so fascinated that my family did things differently and that we didn't do this, you know, sit down FHE thing. We went on a horseback ride instead. And so, you know, it, from a young age, it had me questioning my relationship with God and what it looked like and what it felt like. And, and, you know, I discovered that I enjoyed talking to God out loud. You know, when I was little, I'd go on a four-wheeler ride into the wilderness and sit and talk to God. And I was like, this is kind of weird. <laughs> but for me, you know, it worked. And and I found that I really liked studying God and studying Jesus and and learning about their lives and Jesus's life. And and so I think that my family dynamic, as, as different and as unique as it was, really shaped my testimony today. Wow. That is so awesome. I feel like so many people like kind of like relate a lot to that. I know I do. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. We always, I feel like a lot of people have this like image in mind of what a good LDS family should look like. Yes. Yeah. Upbringing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we're always like comparing to what we think it should be. And it's like, no, everyone's is very different. Yeah. Yeah. So different. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful mm-hmm. is when everybody's is so different. Because if it was all the same, I think that we wouldn't feel a need to be better or try harder, you know, or ask questions if it was all very textbook, you know, definition or mm-hmm. very much the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I So speaking of like, you know, you know, things being personal in the gospel. Um, do you have any, like, is there a story that comes to mind of mm-hmm. a time that has, has been especially like faith building for you or like influencing your relationship with God or Jesus? Yeah, totally. I think, I think for me, there are a couple. I'm not, I don't feel like I receive revelation in like this big, grand, you know, performance. It's small little promptings. And, you know, I don't get like overwhelmed. I feel like by the spirit, it's very, very simple how God speaks to me. I feel like, and it's, it's through people as well. And so when I was 20, we had a, a family trial, um, with my brother. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and me coming from a family that suffers from that it was very frustrating because I was like no no no. if anybody was supposed to have that trial that should have been me not him and so I really you know grew close to God in that trial because I was like I can't do this alone you know I can't my family can't do this alone and so I was turning to God and Jesus a lot instead of relying on my own you know beliefs or my own strength I really needed them and so I think a a big one was you know, my family going through that trial with my brother. I think that was a big strength, you know, faith builder because we really had to turn, turn to God. But the one that like I was thinking about today and that crosses my mind because I think that this is relatable for a lot of people is I was, I was struggling a year ago about where I needed to be and what I should be doing. And so I felt prompted to apply to BYU. And I never thought that I would do that because growing up, my mom went to BYU, my uncle went to BYU. I mean, we're cougs through and through. Um, But I never felt that desire. And I was like, great, you know, that's where you meet your spouse. (laughs) What am I going to (laughs) do? And so 
while I was at UVU, my second semester there, I felt prompted to apply and I was like, okay, sweet, I'm going to do it. And I was like, this is it. You know, this is why I ended my athletic career. This is why this, this is why that. And I kept coming up with these ideas in my head, like this, this is it. Like, this is the moment that I've been waiting for. You know, this was the reason for it all because I had a promising athletic career that I ended because I felt prompted, you know, I was like, God wants me to do something else. So I was like, this is the thing that I've been waiting for so many years later. Um, so I applied. It was an awesome process. And I was so excited. I was so stoked. And I woke up. I woke up one day and I, you know, checked my email and there it was, you know, a letter from BYU. And I was like, oh, my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is it. And it was a, you know, I was denied. And reading that letter, I don't know. Anyone that's ever gotten it, it is, I think they would agree that it is a difficult email or letter to read because it is just like a sucker punch to the gut. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what am I going to do? You know, what is God's plan for me if this isn't it? Because I was like, I was laser focused and that's not always a healthy mindset, but I was like, this is it. Like, I want to go to God's university. (laughs) 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 I want to meet my husband there. I was like, this is it. I'm so excited. Um, and I think had I not had the childhood that I had and if I hadn't gone through the trial that I had gone through with my brother in that moment, I think it would have been very easy to blame God and be very, very angry and say, this is your fault and I am frustrated and I don't understand where you want me, so I'm just going to give up. But in that moment, you know, I was I was I was real upset because I was heartbroken. Um, so I got up, I walked out of my room, I didn't say anything to my parents, and I headed straight for my horses, which is like my go-to when I need to calm down. And I just I got on one of them and I just laid there and I sat there and I just I was bawling and I just looked up to the sky because I feel like that's where we imagine heaven. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, God, I've spent most of my life thinking that my way was the right way, you know, and thinking that I knew it all. And the plan that I had for myself was a hundred percent. Nobody could top it. And I was like, but obviously I know nothing and I am nothing without you. And so in that moment, it was like something switched. And I was like, okay, I've been selfish. I've, I've been striving to do good, but I'm I don't exactly have it because I'm more focused on my will for myself than God's will for me. And so in that moment, everything changed. And I was like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You know, wherever you want me to go, I'll go because I know nothing. And I thought I did, but I know nothing. BYU is not where you need me and it's not where you want me. And I think that something like that, someone could look at and be like, well, you just got denied, you know, why are you making it this spiritual, you know, metaphor? But for me, it was, I felt that prompting and I acted on it. Yeah. And when it didn't go the way that I thought it would go, I was like, okay, I had a lesson to learn just by going through that process, regardless of whether or not I got in. And I think it was God's way of being like, okay, you can act on promptings, but now you got to learn that not everything is going to go to the way that you want it to go. And you have to remember that I know more than you do. And my plan for you is much grander than going to BYU. You know, I have something in store for you. And so for me in that moment, I was like, okay, like I'm in. We're in this together and I'm going to trust in you and follow you. And whatever happens, happens because 
I need you. I need you to guide me. And and that was my mindset. And looking back, I'm like, whoa, I cannot believe I thought that way. Because old Rach Nicole would have been like, you know, what the heck? You know, I'm so upset. I'm so mad. I want this. I want to go to BYU. Why aren't you making this happen for me? But new Rach was like, okay, humble yourself. Chill out. God has your back. And this is just a little pivot in the path. So... I think that that really strengthened my relationship with God. And it's such a simple, like, oh, you didn't get into BYU, join the club. You know, mm-hmm. there are so many people that don't get into that school. But for me, it was like, okay, you know, I need to humble myself and God needs me somewhere else. It was just like, it was the reminder that I needed because I had put so much on that. I was like, this is it. Like, my whole life is going to start when I get into this school. Yeah. And God was like, actually, no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> well, and it's kind of like we put this like like I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct no, me no, if, go if for I'm it. wrong. Like BYU is gonna be my salvation. Yes, yes. And God's like, no, no, I'm your salvation. Yes, exactly. Jesus is your salvation. Yes. Yeah. We like to label the worldly things that seem pretty, you know, like getting into BYU, you know, yeah, getting into the BYU business school or the law school, whatever it is. I'm labeling BYU a lot, but I think it's such a prominent stereotype that BYU looks to. It's like, oh, you didn't get into BYU, (laughs) you know? Right. Whoops. Sorry. But really, it's like, it's just a school, you know? It has nothing to do with with your potential or where God wants you, Mm -hmm. you know? It's just just one of those things. You get into BYU or you don't. You go to UVU or you don't. You know, it has nothing to do with your divine potential, just like serving a mission. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a a bishop tell me, and I mentioned this in my talk, that unless I served a mission, I would never reach my divine potential. And I was like, you know what? Your heart is in the right place, but if I don't feel it and I'm really trying and preparing and God's still not telling me, then I don't think I should go. You know, I don't think that's where God needs me. And on that subject, it all worked out because— I needed to be with my family and be home to help my brother go through what he was going through. And when he, when we found out what, you know, that he was diagnosed and that he didn't want to be here anymore and he didn't, he wanted to go be with Heavenly Father, I would have been on a mission when that happened. So I'm like, God works in mysterious ways, but he is always guiding you. And you might not understand it in the moment, but when you look back, you're like, okay, all right, I get it now. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I so did you like did you actually say that to the bishop? Like I was, was I'm trying to see I mean I remember I remember his words so clearly because obviously they stuck with me. Yeah. I um, mean that could like Yeah. That could really affect someone. Yes. I mean people leave the church for, you know, reasons like that, for yeah. situations like that. And he's he's a great man, and he's a great bishop, and I think that his heart was in the right place, but it just, you know, it it, it was like a, you know, a textbook answer, you know, like yeah. he, you know, that's what he's supposed to say is what it felt like, and I can't remember what I said. I think I was, you know, I felt bad mm-hmm. that I didn't feel the desire to serve a mission like so many of my friends did. I was like, well, something must be wrong with me because I'm just not feeling it. And I kind of got discouraged. I was like, well, then why am I in this? You know, why am I doing what I'm doing if it's if it's not going to matter 
because I'm not going to serve a mission. You know, I'm doing other things. I'm trying to learn about Jesus and about God and grow my relationship with them. But if that doesn't matter because I'm not serving a mission, then then why am I doing anything at all? So that was kind of my mindset growing up. And I had to navigate that and, and work through that and be like, you know what? I feel good when I read my scriptures instead of watch Netflix. You know, I feel good when I go to the temple instead of, you know, going to the gym sometimes. You know, I had to learn for myself that putting in the effort, you know, swapping out my rap music or my country music for, you know, church music or I really love um like all these Christian bands you know that are just more mainstream Christianity but I love listening to their worship music and I feel so much better and so I think in that moment when the bishop said that to me you know I was very much discouraged but I was like you know what I was I kind of had the personality like you know what screw you you know (laughs) I'm gonna figure it out myself and which little side note we're not talking about Bishop Lewis no not Bishop (laughs) Lewis no 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 Bishop Lewis is such a great man and he is such a great bishop and I feel like he understands this perspective very well you know that that it's not a gospel of to-do lists or doing this to receive that this was a homeward bishop (laughs) who is great man still but not Bishop Lewis yeah just in case y'all thought, no. Um, I don't think Bishop Lewis would ever say that to anybody. <laughs> I, I would hope not. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think in that moment, it was just like, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong, you know? Yeah. So it, it didn't discourage me enough to want to leave, but it almost like sparked a fire in me. Like, okay, like I'm going to find another way. If, if that's your mindset, I'm going to prove it wrong and grow my relationship with God in the ways that I know how and in the ways that I feel most connected to him. So I'm really grateful that it didn't it didn't push me to leave because yeah. for a lot of people it does and that makes me so sad because that is not at all what this gospel is about. It's not about measuring up or getting straight A's or, you know, being perfect, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes because <laughs> it's not about being perfect it's about being christ-like and i think christ was perfect but we get so wrapped up in that word of perfection and what it's supposed to look like um but i think we need to replace it with christ-like and with what would a young holy adult do just like that devotional you know i think that is what's going to lead us to being more like christ instead of getting wrapped up in no 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 you need to be perfect because that perfection in the worldly lens is very very different i think versus the spiritual lens and eternal lens when it comes to the gospel yeah i'm really glad you said that um i because even even with that talk um the devotional with president and sister nelson um even hearing like what would a holy adult or a holy young adult do. In my mind, I still am like, okay, wait, not a perfect young adult. Yes. A holy young yes. adult. And yeah, so I'm like, I wonder, I I wonder if I should just for me change it to like, what would I do if I don't even know? Like, what can I do to walk with Christ in yes. this moment? Yeah. Or you know, like yeah. yeah, just like putting the focus back on Christ mm-hmm. and taking it off of yourself because really it has nothing to do with you. Exactly. Like, it has everything Amen. to do with him. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I would think that as a competitive athlete, I would always think if my like role model 
like star gold medalist athlete was here right now, how would I perform? You know, Mm -hmm. and it would always push me to do a little bit better. And so I kind of have that same mindset with Christ. I'm like, what if he was sitting across from me right now in the car while I'm driving and I'm like panicking in this like traffic right now and I want to swear at all these people. (laughs) I'm like, what if he was sitting with me right now getting Costa Vida? You know, like if he was walking with me right now, you know, what would I be doing? What would I be saying? You know, what would I be thinking? Would I be judging that person next to me that, you know, ordered the steak burrito instead of the sweet pork quesadilla you know (laughs) (laughs) we get so caught up in in judging people and and all those little things I'm like no 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 like seriously what if Christ was right here right now what if he was in this room during this podcast you know what would we what would we be doing what would we be saying maybe it would be exactly what we're doing right now you know so just to be in that mindset of okay what if he was with me right now just my buddy you know my brother my friend you know yeah oh I love that so much um, so kind of going back to, um, the topic of missions, um, what, what do you feel like is something that we, we can do within our culture with mm-hmm. just as church members in the 262nd ward, um, to better like support those who decide not to serve missions? Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think that we're quick to assume that it's because they aren't worthy or they, their testimony isn't strong enough. You know, we make all these assumptions and I think I hate assumptions. I think that's my biggest pet peeve when people are quick to assume something, whether it's within the gospel or, you know, outside of the gospel. I think we get tripped up there and Satan is so quick to take advantage of those assumptions and, you know, turn them into something big. And I think, you know, what we need to do is is remind ourselves that this gospel isn't a gospel of, you know, to-do lists. Just because someone doesn't check off a box that you checked off doesn't mean that they aren't, you know, as worthy. Or just because they do, they, you know, pray differently doesn't mean they're, you know, not as worthy or they don't have a relationship with God. And I think we have to remind ourselves that Every single relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Parents, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Mother is very, very different. And that's special and that's unique. And we we are not the ones that should be judging. I think that we get in our own heads and we're only human. We're imperfect. So we're bound to to judge people. But we need to humble ourselves and and look inwards when we're judging someone. Like, okay, I'm judging this person. Why? You know, and and be curious about it instead of being judgmental about it. And I listened to a podcast today that like had that thought process of look inwards when you start to judge someone, you know. Is this an insecurity that you happen to have that you need to work on? Is this something that you need to pray about? Because you judging someone you know, that's not Christ-like. That's not what Christ would do. And we we just forget that, you know, we're only human. And so be curious instead, you know, think, look at that person and think, okay, what does God think of this person right now in this moment? You know, God isn't disappointed that they're not serving a mission. You know, God loves them regardless. You know, that is not a prerequisite to having a relationship with God or loving God, you know? So I think we have to remind ourselves of those things and, and, you know, it's a sensitive topic, someone not serving a mission and even someone not getting married at the age that we feel like we're supposed to get married at. You know, we see so many people getting married so, so young. And I've fallen into that trap of I'm 21 and I'm single. 
Like, I have no right? prospects. And I'm like, so I'm screwed. Like, I've passed I'm the age. Maid. Seriously, we get in this this mindset. And I've had family members tell me, well, if you served a mission, then you'd be married right now. Oh or if gosh. you stopped wearing that cross necklace that you're wearing, maybe guys would ask you out. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I don't want to go out with those guys. You know, yeah. if, that's, if that's their criteria, that's not a very Christ-like person to me. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but, right. you know, I think we just get caught up in these, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to be this, you know, and mm-hmm. you have to have all these boxes checked. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not what this gospel is about. And we, I think breaking down that wall is is difficult because nobody wants to talk about why they didn't serve a mission you know nobody wants to talk about why they're not married Mm -hmm. nobody wants to get vulnerable like that but I think that those conversations sometimes need to be had you know because it's so relatable it's so relatable but we want to paint a pretty picture you know we want everybody to see this image that we are you know diligent temple goers but really we're human and Sometimes we forget, you know, we don't Mm -hmm. prioritize it. And I'm not saying that we need to normalize not doing those healthy habits or, you know, doing the things, you know, that that God gives us, you know, the the um, advice that he gives it. We should be acting on it, but it doesn't have to be perfect and I think that's where we get tripped up and that's not to say like sit back relax and let God do all the work effort still has to be put in but we get so caught up in this idea that people have to be diligent temple goers they have to be paying their tithing you know all the time you know and if they mess up it's a big deal and I'm like that's why we have grace Mm -hmm. and that's why we have Jesus and the atonement that he blessed us with and so I think Back to your, you know, question, that's a very long-winded winded answer, but, you know, I think it's just we have to humble ourselves. I think it comes down to every single person looking inwards and being like, okay, this is not my place to judge. How can I, how can I change that? How can I change the way that I'm feeling about this person? Why am I judging this person? Why am I being so quick to assume? Do I have an insecurity about it that, you know, is making me, judge this other person because they didn't serve a mission you know so I think we we just we need to look inwards and look at ourselves and be like okay what would Christ do what would he say what would he think right now in this moment because that's really the goal at the end of the day is how can we be more like Christ in every single moment of our lives yeah oh my goodness our last question is what do you want your posterity to know a hundred years from now Oh, I was thinking about this today as I was like mentally preparing for this. And the first thing that popped into my mind, I think it's because it's so fresh because I spoke on it, but I think I would want my posterity to know that this gospel, as beautiful and fulfilling as it is, is not a gospel of to-do lists. And it's not, we're given suggestions and we're given advice and we should absolutely follow that. But but it's not in the format of here's your to-do list. You have to check off every single box. And if you don't, sorry, like, bye. You don't get to sit with us. <laughs> uh, so I, I would want my prosper- prosperity to know that, you know, it's about getting to know Jesus. And it's about getting to know your heavenly parents, your heavenly mother and your heavenly father. Because I think we forget about our heavenly mother sometimes too. So it's it's really to get to know your heavenly family. Because you have an earthly family that loves and adores you. But you also have this family that's up in heaven cheering you on and rooting for you. And they want to help. You just have to open that door and allow them 
to help you and guide you. So that's what I would want from a hundred years from now. I'd want them to know that it's about building that relationship. It's just as important as the relationships you build down here with people you can see face to face. You just can't see this other heavenly family face to face, but you can feel them. And so it's just as important. And when you do that, everything else will fall into place. I love it. Perfect note to end on. I learned that one of the Hebraic meanings of the word Israel is let God prevail. Thus the very name of Israel refers to a person who is willing to let God prevail in his or her life. With a Hebraic definition of Israel in mind, the gathering of Israel takes on added meaning. The Lord is gathering those who are willing to let God prevail in their lives. The Lord is gathering those who will choose to let God be the most important influence in their lives. For centuries, prophets have foretold this gathering, and it is happening right now.